Hey, I know Pastor Randy already said it uh, in the announcements, but um, tonight uh, we've been singing about the gospel. We've been reminded about the gospel already this morning by the songs that we've sang, the prayers that have been read, the passages of Scripture that uh, have been read. And, uh, and tonight we're celebrating the miracle that God in Christ Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, saves people. And so there are going to be three individuals uh, tonight at 4 p.m. here that are making a public declaration of faith that are saying that God in Christ Jesus has saved me. Uh, the Holy Spirit has regenerated my heart, and, uh, and they want to make that public. And so uh, that is exciting to me. I hope that that's exciting to you guys as well. And I would encourage you to come out and join us at 4 p.m. as we spend time uh, uh, partaking of the ordinances, being reminded of the gospel through the ordinances, and, and also um, as we spend some time praying, uh, as we gear up for the fall, just uh, praying for our teachers, praying for our schools, praying for the missions that we're uh, engaging with this fall. And so that's at 4 p.m., um, and we would love for you guys to come out and join us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, over the last couple of weeks, um, just to make sure it stays fresh in our minds, we have seen a shift in the Apostle Paul's uh, audience, right? The first uh, eight chapters, he is addressing the repentant Corinth, which is the majority of the people in the church that make up the church of Corinth. But over the last few weeks, uh, we have seen him going after uh, the, the smaller group of Corinth that is still uh, following the super apostles that the Apostle Paul um, sarcastically named, and, uh, and he's trying to shock their conscience, right? He's trying to, to call them into repentance and to call them uh, to embrace Christ Jesus, the Christ Jesus that, that the Apostle Paul delivered to them, not the Christ Jesus that the super apostles have been uh, talking about. And so, for the rest of this series, that is um, the group of people that we see the Apostle Paul addressing in verses nine, in chapters 9 to 13. And so as we look um, at, verse, at uh, chapter 12 and verses 1 through 10, let's just kind of hold that in mind um, so that we can uh, understand this passage of Scripture uh, a bit better. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the, the first 10 verses. Uh, I will pray and ask for the Lord's help during this time, and then we'll make some observations about the text. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. I must go on boasting that there's nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was called up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that can't be told, which man may not utter. Verse 5. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is what? 
sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we have this opportunity to to open your word, God, and and we confess again this morning that it's living and active, God, that these really are your words that have been documented, God, that they've been kept pure in all ages, and that we can have confidence in that when we hold our Bibles, God, that, that we are holding your letter to all Christians, God. And so I ask for your Holy Spirit's help. Help us, Lord, to understand your word. Help us to apply your word. Help us to be forever changed by your word for the glory of your name. And God, we ask that your gospel would be clear this morning, that your your church would be encouraged in Christ, and that those that are here that may not know you, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would draw them to yourself and save them. And we pray all this in the only name that saves, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you're taking notes, uh, and you can find the notes on your bulletin, uh, you, can, uh, you can fill in the blanks and, and move along with us as we go through the sermons. But the first thing that I would have you notice is the church is not built on ecstatic experiences. She's built on Christ. The church is not built on ecstatic experiences. She's built on Christ. That's what we see here in the first six verses. The Apostle Paul talks about he, that he has to keep going with boasting. He says, there, there's nothing to be gained by it. I'm going to talk about visions. I'm going to talk about revelations. And then in verse 2, he shifts and he begins to say, I know a man who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven. And we hear him detail a little bit about this revelation, about this vision, if you will. And as 21st century Christians living in a time when the canon of Scripture is closed, right, a time where where God is finished with revelation, there's no new things to reveal. God isn't still writing the Scriptures These few verses, they can be intimidating for us, or they can be difficult for us to understand and and read. And so let me frame up for us this morning what the Apostle Paul is doing. Um, First, if you have your Bibles, notice the phrase, I must go on boasting. Paul, he's continuing the dialogue, as I said a moment ago, from the last chapter, and, and he's doing what he hates. Okay, he's doing what he hates. He's having to showcase or, or brag about his experiences in order to further dismantle the testimonies and the messages of these so-called super apostles. Okay, and, and the, the Apostle Paul, he's so uncomfortable with doing this that he even mentions that he doesn't even know really what's going to be gained by him sharing of these certain experiences. And then in verse 2, we see him shift to what? The third person. He's so uncomfortable that he shifts to the third person, and this is where it can get confusing with us. He's, he's so uncomfortable with sharing of his personal experiences that he puts some distance between himself and his own testimony. In verse 7, it, which we'll get to shortly, kind of sheds light on the fact that the Apostle Paul is actually talking about himself. So Paul, around 14 years prior to this letter, he experienced either a vision or, or, some, or some bodily experiences where he was caught up 
to the third heaven, okay? Now, the, the third heaven is the dwelling place of our triune God, okay? It's, it's, it's the highest heaven. The first heaven is the atmosphere. The second heaven is where the stars are. The third heaven is where our triune God dwells. Uh, that's, that's the heaven that, the Lord, that Christ Jesus came from through his incarnation, this is the heaven that Christ ascended to when he, he sat at God's right hand to rule and to reign. This is the heaven that, that Jesus is referring to when he teaches his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The heaven, this heaven, which Paul also calls in our text this morning paradise, right, which is where Jesus told the thief on the cross that he would meet him, okay? This is where the secret conversations of our Lord take place. It's where the souls of the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints and our loved ones who are found in Christ, it's, it's where they are for now while they await the day when the dead in Christ shall rise, their souls are reunited with their bodies, and we live forever with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth. It's in fact the place that Christ will come from when he returns for us and he makes all things new. So we have Paul saying that he experienced either this vision or, or some bodily experience of, uh, of this very significant and holy place. And, and there's a couple of things that we need to note that, that shed light for us on why the Apostle Paul is mentioning this experience. First is this, these experiences weren't the norm for Old Testament believers or New Testament believers. This wasn't just happening all the time, right? When we read the Bible as 21st century Christians, we get a sense that experiences like this were, were the norm, but they weren't. But people were enamored by them, right? And when we read the Scripture, it's stories like this that stick out to us. When my wife and I watch movies, we love watching superhero movies, because it's action-packed and we'll fall asleep if we watch anything else because we're too tired to engage with movies. But, but we like action-packed movies. And, and um, now if I, take, if, that, if I take that approach with spiritual matters, I'm going to miss out on a lot of what the Lord has for me in the Scripture, right? If you like action like me, you're, you're prone to, like me, skip the wilderness sections, right? You're, we're, we're prone to skip the so-called plain stuff that we find in the Scripture. We skip the genealogies, right? We, we skip the, the years that Israel spends in captivity and rebellion. We, we skip the silence of God. We skip creation groaning and eagerly anticipating when the Lord comes to make all things new. Right? The things that, that tend to stick out to us as we read are or burning bush experiences, right? And global floods and healings. And these are good. That's why they're documented in the Scripture. But they weren't the everyday normal workings of life. Does that make sense? And, 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 and then on top of that, we're 2,000 plus years removed from these experiences. So there's even, there's even more distance between us and these types of things that we're reading, what Paul experienced was revelatory. And furthermore, in verse 4, he's told not to disclose what he was told, what he heard in this third heaven. 
Just like the, 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 super, the super apostles in the Corinthian church, churches today were obsessed with ecstatic experiences, aren't we? There's books published about these, these so-called experiences, and these books are published primarily to make money, to catch our attention, and they arise from a discontent with the Scriptures. They arise uh, from this discontent with what I was just mentioning that we're going to celebrate tonight, the, mir- the greatest miracle of all, the miracle of our salvation, the fact that God will look down on us and see that we're all headed to hell for all eternity, and He would intervene through the person and work of Christ, that's the greatest miracle of all, right? But sometimes these ecstatic experiences and our desire of them, they they feed this lust, this lust to be entertained, this lust to have something that's a little bit more action-packed for us. So some of the folks in the Corinthian church, they wanted action-packed entertainment, and they wanted it on their terms, and oftentimes we do too. Uh, another thing we need to notice about Paul sharing this experience, even reluctantly sharing this experience, is uh, the fact that he did, in fact, hate discussing it. Right? People today, they're, they're eager to speak of these experiences. Why, why is the Apostle Paul, why is he so hesitant? It was because he knew what you just took note on. He knew that the church couldn't be built on his experience. And, he, and he, he didn't want the church to be built on his experience. This happened 14 years ago. This is the first time he's even sharing of this experience, right? The Apostle Paul knew that the church had to be built on Christ Jesus, right? Experiences, they're fleeting. Experiences, they're, they're changing. And the only thing that's sure, right, the only thing that's unshakable, the book of Hebrews talks about this unshakable inheritance. The only thing that's unshakable is Christ Jesus, his person and his work. And all throughout this letter, both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, we see that the Apostle Paul, his aim is to make much of Christ, not to brag about some experiences that he's had. His aim is to draw attention to Jesus. That's why he's pursuing this rebellious minority in the first place. He wants them to be reconciled to Christ, not obsessed with his story, okay? And then the third thing that I think is important for us to notice, the Lord gave the Apostle Paul this vision, I think, because of all the hardship that he was going to endure. All right, we spent a little bit of time looking at the, the hardship of the Apostle Paul. And in a sense, this, this revelation that the Apostle Paul had was uh, helped to sustain him, right? It would help to sustain him. This, this vision, this revelation he got, it was before his very first missionary journey, right? The Lord ordained that, that Paul was going to experience suffering, and so he gives him things like this revelation, this vision in order to comfort him, in order uh, to help him persevere in the midst of his affliction. Now, there's one more reason I see as to why Paul mentions this specific encounter, and this is just my opinion. Uh, But we do see that the super apostles, they're teaching a foreign gospel. They're teaching a different gospel than that of the apostle Paul. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we, we began to see that they began to despise the ways of Christ Jesus, right? They despised meekness and gentleness and humility and suffering. And, uh, and so their, their commitment was to, um, to wealth and health and prosperity and things of that nature. And so the apostle Paul, I think, is, is in a way saying, these guys are, they're talking about heaven and they're talking about Christ. And now I'm going to reluctantly share with you a little bit about heaven because these super apostles are importing a little bit 
uh, a little bit too, too much of the new heavens and the new earth for these first century Christians. And so Paul's saying, I've been to heaven. I've been to the third heavens where our triune God dwells. It's not like what they're saying. What they're saying isn't true. What they're saying isn't right. Trust me, I know I've been there, okay? And so, so the Apostle Paul, again, he's dismantling the testimonies. He's dismantling the message so that he can win uh, this unrepentant um, small uh, part of this local church back to Christ. Now, why did I wade through explaining this? The reason is, is I want our local church to be content with the Father's with, with God the Father's plan of salvation for us and his, his plan to sanctify us, right? I want us to be content with our Savior, Christ Jesus, who accomplished the salvation that the Father planned. I want us to be content with the Holy Spirit that lives in us, who helps us to understand God's written word that, that, uh, that conforms us more and more to the image of Christ. We need to be content with these gifts, that the Lord's given us, right? Our, our church has to be built on our unchanging God and His unchanging Word that He delivered to us once and for all. And so our heralding as a local church, when we're heralding the good news of the gospel as ambassadors of Christ, it shouldn't revolve around our experiences. It should revolve around Christ Jesus. And so that's why this is relevant for us. If you're taking notes, you can write this down, point two, we began to touch on this a little bit last week, but Christ-centered suffering humbles us and keeps us close to the Lord. Christ-centered suffering, it humbles us and it keeps us close to the Lord. Verse 7 here, because of the, 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 the revelations that the, the Apostle Paul received, he says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, it's here that we see that the Lord was concerned about the Apostle Paul's heart posture. Right? We, we know, if you know anything about Paul's conversion story, when he was Saul, he was a persecutor of Christians, right? And, and he, has, he had quite the resume. And, uh, and the Apostle Paul is someone who, he was proud. He was arrogant. It, he, he believed his way was the right way. And so he was prone to that type of thinking to that type of worldview, and so are we, right? And so the, the Lord graciously, and I say graciously um, on purpose, but the Lord graciously allowed Satan to harass Paul with some sort of thorn in the flesh that, that's unidentified to, so that the Apostle Paul would stay humble, so that the Apostle Paul would stay close to the Lord, so that the Apostle Paul would remember his neediness of the Lord, Right? And, and the thorn in the flesh is, is, is unidentified, which I think in God's providence is helpful for us, right? We can, we can kind of maybe read some of our story into it because of the vagueness uh, of Paul's descriptor of it. But I, what we do know about this thorn in the flesh is threefold. One is Paul didn't want it. Right? We're going to see that in just a minute. But Paul, he didn't desire to just suffer. Right? Suffering in and of itself is bad, and we don't need to desire suffering. But as we saw last week... We should embrace it for the cause of Christ when necessary, right? We need to embrace suffering for the cause of Christ when necessary. Secondly, we know that Paul was humiliated by it. He was humiliated by it. And third, just from this Christian vantage point, and we see the Apostle Paul's eternal perspective, we know that um, 
that the Lord had a purpose for it. And the Lord has a purpose for your suffering as well, right? It, again, the vagueness of this thorn in the flesh allows us to identify with Paul's thorn in the flesh. And, but there's many of you that, that are sitting here this morning and, and you're suffering. And, and you, like the Apostle Paul, have asked the Lord to take it from you. Right? The Apostle Paul asked three times, right? Jesus, when he was approaching, enduring the wrath of God, taking the penalty for our sin on the cross, prayed in the garden three times, there's another way, then let this cup pass from me, right? There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with praying to the Lord to remove suffering from our life. Paul prayed this, but he knew that God was using the affliction for a purpose, right? You, when you're in Christ, you don't suffer as one without purpose, right? You don't suffer as one without purpose, and you don't suffer alone, you don't suffer alone. Suffering all throughout church history has been a defining characteristic for Christians, right? God didn't spare his own son from suffering. And here's our hope. First came Christ's humiliation, right? Through the incarnation, living his life in the shadow of the cross, in the shadow of our sin, right? Dying on the cross, which wasn't the worst part of it, right? The worst part of it was the wrath of God being poured out for our sin on Jesus on the cross. And so we see Christ in his humiliation. But there's something else that happens, right? By the power of the Holy Spirit, right, he rises bodily and eternally from the grave. The first to be glorified. And he ascends to the right hand of God. And so just as Christ was humiliated so do we experience humiliations this side of eternity? And just as Christ, the second Adam, was gloriously risen from the grave, so will we have glorified bodies. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that encouraging this morning? Exaltation is coming. And as we suffer, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we have to fix our eyes on the ways of Christ. And, and we remember, as the Apostle Paul was reminded as we suffer, that the grace of Jesus is sufficient. Right? The grace of Jesus is sufficient. That's where we see the, the Apostle Paul plead three times for the Lord. And Christ responds with, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Right? This is why our faith in our church has to rest on, on Christ alone and not experiences, right? If we're, if we're resting on our own experiences, the moment that suffering comes, we abandon our profession of faith. But if we, if we rest on our Savior who's completely sufficient, no matter what comes in this life, we stand firm, not because we're so great, but because our Savior is so great. Suffering has this ability to put us in a position to, to feel the weight of the sufficiency of Christ, right? And if we wallow in self-pity when we suffer, right, if that's where we stay, and again, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging this is, this is really bad. What I'm going through is really bad. Because again, suffering in and of itself is bad and it's evil and it's a part of the fall. But God takes what is bad and he redeems it right? And so, if, we, if we're not able to have this eternal perspective, if we're not able to see movement, if our eyes don't lift off of our circumstances and onto Christ Jesus, 
then how are we practically living? We're practically saying the grace of Christ isn't sufficient, right? The grace of Christ isn't sufficient. If we numb ourselves as we suffer through abusing medications or abusing substances, right, or entertaining ourselves to death, what are we doing? We're practically saying the grace of Jesus isn't enough to sustain me. It's not enough to sustain me. And and as we suffer, we're given, we're given this opportunity to feel the reality of Christ's sufficiency. Now, what are some ways that we can practically cultivate this, right? And we cultivate this in the, in the good times. We cultivate this in the bad times. And I'll give you just a few practical things. First is a consistent prayer life. A consistent prayer life, right? Prayer communicates dependence, right? Prayer is humbling. Prayer cultivates patience. Prayer cultivates long-suffering. Prayer warms our affections for Jesus Christ and lifts our burdens because we're reminded, again, that Jesus carried our burdens to the cross. So prayer life is critical. Next, a consistent, uh, a consistent time in Scripture, right? A lack of prayer and a lack of time in Scripture, it, it produces in us a, a uh, kind of a, it's a spiritual uh, ha- uh, just haze in our lives, right? It, it, it produces in us this kind of spiritual laziness uh, in our lives. And, and um, the spiritual laziness that, that can be cultivated, it, it, it can produce in us heightened levels of depression. It can produce in us heightened levels of anxiety. It can produce in us uh, heightened levels of worry and... and um, and, and just this overall lack of peace, where time in Scripture produces the mind of Christ. Right? Time in Scripture produces the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit uses our time in Scripture to conform us more and more into the image of Christ and gives us this opportunity, again, to continually bring our burdens to the Lord, understanding that we're not in control anyway, but it's, it's the Lord and His sovereign plan um, that is in control. And then lastly, another way that we can cultivate uh, really feeling the reality of Christ's sufficiency is gospel-centered community, right? Hebrews 3 talks about how the Lord uses the local church to keep us from being deceived by sin's deceitfulness, right? The, the author of Hebrews writes to this Jewish group of Christians that even uh, this side of eternity, uh, even believers are prone to wander. Even believers with the Holy Spirit indwelling in them are prone to be deceived by sin. And so the Lord has graciously brought His local church together as a means by which we continue to persevere in the faith. We remind one another that, that sin is deceitful. We, re, we continue to remind each other of how the Bible defines sin. We remind each other of the glories of the gospel. We remind each other of our identity in Christ. Both First and Second Corinthians are pinned by... Um, uh, and, and, and if you were to read them together, you'd see the Apostle Paul reminding the Corinthian church to be who they are. He's, he's saying... Your saints in Christ Jesus, your new creatures in Christ Jesus, be that. The way that you're behaving is contrary to that. So remember who you are in Christ. And, and that's the beauty of this local church is accountability, is, uh, is we're all forgetful. We're all prone to wonder. And so we need brothers and sisters to remind us of what's true. We need brothers and sisters to remind us of the sufficiency of Christ Jesus. 
Fourth, we see in our text that, that Christ rests with the weak and unknown. Jesus Christ rests with the weak and unknown. Paul says in the second part of verse 9, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The, the language rest upon me. That's significant language. And as I was studying for this sermon, I learned that the same word used for rest upon me is, is the vocabulary of the tabernacle from the time when God pitched his tent with his people in Exodus uh, 40, 34. This is what this says. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And then John says of Jesus in John 1, 14, you guys know this if you've been in church life for any length of time. And the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. So the, the, the phrase rest upon me literally means Christ pitches his tent with me. Christ pitches his tent with me. These super apostles who had fans and, and these prestigious gatherings that they charged for, they didn't dwell with Christ. They didn't dwell with Christ. Christ was with Paul. He was with Paul, the, the man that these unrepentant Corinthians wanted nothing to do with. Right? Rejecting Paul was to reject the God that Paul dwelled with. Right? Paul is the forgotten, weak, unimpressive minister of the gospel. Right? And bring that to bear on your life right now. Right? Many of you suffer, and many of you serve the Lord, and it goes unnoticed. And I want you to be encouraged this morning that Christ dwells with you. He, he, he tabernacles with you, is what the Scriptures say. He's pitched his tent with you. This world despises weakness. But the Scripture reminds us that Christ dwells with those who are weak. Weakness showcases the strength of God, right? So to be weak to be unknown, to suffer. We can persevere in those things because we're reminded over and over and over again that Christ dwells with us. He, he hasn't left us. He hasn't abandoned us. He's present. He's near. And we can go to Him. Next, we need to be reminded that the weak are strong in Christ. The weak are strong in Christ. For the sake of Christ then, Paul says, because Christ has pitched his tent with me, because I know that if I'm suffering and if I'm weak and I'm enduring hardships and I'm being persecuted and I'm experiencing all kinds of trials and tribulations, if I have to go through that in order for Christ to pitch his tent with me, then sign me up. I can be content with weaknesses with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities, because I know that Christ is with me, and in my weakness, He is strong. Isn't that encouraging to you this morning? When I'm weak, He's strong. Power in weakness really is the theme of this book, 
All right, recap this theme with me for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And get this, but there's a shift there. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. Right? What about um, this passage here in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians? But we have this treasure in chapter 6 here in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always caring in us the body, uh, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal, mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you." 2 Corinthians 4, then 2 Corinthians 6, just a few weeks ago. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions and hardships and calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we're treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. And I mentioned earlier that Paul's aim was to make much of Christ, not much of himself. And the Lord gave the apostle Paul the opportunity to do that over and over and over again, especially in Paul's particular weaknesses. And Paul was found as a good steward. Right? The Bible doesn't call us to be strong on our own accord. The Bible teaches us that, that true strength comes from our trust in Jesus. Right? Our weaknesses, whatever they are, are, are these opportunities that we have to point people toward the sufficiency of Christ, as Paul did. Some of you have heard this story before, but I can't talk about weaknesses. It's, it's been on my mind over the last couple of weeks, but as, as we have kind of saw the Apostle Paul's tactic to dismantle the testimony of, of these false teachers, but, uh, but the word weakness and hardships and trials, those things continue to pop up through these texts. And my grandmother, so my dad, um, his, his father passed away when my dad was young, and uh, my grandmother uh, was left to raise him and the siblings. And uh, in her late 20s, uh, she had to have a back surgery, and the, the back surgery uh, got botched. And uh, she became a quadriplegic from like 27 years old until she died at age 86. And, uh, and so, which meant that she had to go in a full-time kind of care home facility, which meant that she didn't get to raise her children in a way that uh, moms want to raise their children. And so uh, my dad kind of grew up uh, jumping from sibling. He was the baby of the family. He kind of grew up jumping from sibling to sibling and, um, and drifted away from the Lord. 
And, um, and my grandmother, I have, she died when I was a junior in high school. And every Sunday we would go visit her after our Lord's Day services. And uh, I never remember her complaining. I never remember her being bitter or upset about her circumstances. I remember her being worshipful. And I've even asked my dad every time I think about the story, do you remember her complaining? And he has no recollection of her complaining. And, and I say that to say that, that, that was her showcasing the strength of the Lord in her weakness. And, uh, and my, I, I benefit from the fruit, uh, the fruit of the, the seeds that my grandmother planted by, uh, even though she couldn't raise her children, she prayed for them faithfully every day. And, uh, and because of that, my dad walks with the Lord and taught us boys to walk with the Lord. And, uh, and so I, I think of that story often, and, I, and, uh, and it reminds me that uh, to be near Christ is good, right? To be near Christ perseveres us through whatever circumstances brought our way. And so as a local church body here at Coastal Deer Park, my encouragement to you this morning is is to be near to Christ. Walk with the Lord. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit through communion with God, through the ups and downs of life. And as we do, let's be faithful ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ to each other as we remind each other to persevere in the faith and uh, to our neighbors and to those that we minister to uh, on a daily basis. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. Lord, we thank you that the church from the first century on was not built on man's experiences. It was built on Christ Jesus. And because it was built on Christ Jesus, we confess along with uh, the author of Hebrews that we are inheriting a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so in response to that inheritance, Lord, we offer to you acceptable worship with reverence and awe, confessing as a church body that you are the consuming fire. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, for this time that we've had together this morning. Lord, be with us as we sing in response to the preaching of your word, Lord. And we're so grateful for what you're doing in and through this church body. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to spend some time in prayer or uh, respond to... um, to this morning's service, we have some uh, uh, prayer team members that, can you guys just raise your hand so that uh, they can see hands go up? There's one right there, and then Marty right here. So Caleb and Marty, uh, they would love to talk to you about the gospel. They would love to pray for you, speak with you. And so uh, as we sing this last song, feel free to grab one of them. Um, They would absolutely love that. And uh, we're going to respond this morning with singing. So in Christ alone, would you guys stand with us?